Lord, I come before your throne of grace. I find rest in your presence and fullness of joy. And then I want to follow that with um, I will worship. First, I'd just like to uh, read you a few verses from Psalm 103. Um, I'm reading it from the message just so that it perhaps has a little bit more impact than words that I think we're often quite familiar with. And I think it's something that, that uh, I don't know, I, I feel strongly uh, at the moment and, and I think that probably all of us from time to time need to listen to and hear what God's saying to us. O oh my soul, bless God. From head to toe, I'll bless his holy name. O my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, every one. He heals your diseases, every one. He redeems you from death, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how he went about his work, opened up his plans to Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace. Not easily angered, he's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor hold grudges forever. Sorry. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As as high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. As far as sunrise is from sunset, he separated us from our sins. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear him. And so, with that in mind, I want us to come to God and worship. Lord, I come before your throne of grace. I find rest in your presence and fullness of joy. In worship and wonder, I behold your face singing, what a faithful God have I. Father, we are grateful for all that you have done for us. Words cannot express the joy that we feel in knowing you. Words cannot express the gratitude that we have for knowing your salvation. Words cannot express the glory, the power and the honour that is yours. Father, fill us, we pray, that we may be truly your children and give you glory, honour and praise in our lives. Amen. Richard's uh, going to come and give us the announcements. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome to you. In particular, nice to see Jeff, half a row of Dickinson's, um, Jason, Jacob and Luca at the back. Paul Chambers was here and has been summoned into the kitchen, I think. Ben Sutcliffe, nice to see you this morning as well. Thanks to Rosie for preparing the care news. This is what she writes. We keep Danaby and Ben in our thoughts and prayers as they help support Debbie's mum as she comes to terms with the diagnosis of cancer. We pray for her too and for those caring for her. We thank God that Marion was well enough to be with us last week and pray God will strengthen and heal her. 
pleased, glad to see you here today and pray that God takes care of you too. Claire and the rest of the Dickinsons, glad you're back. Um, we've really missed you over the past few weeks. Pauline is struggling a bit at the moment with an inner ear infection, but sends her love to us all. And we also ask for God's blessing on those that we don't see so often. Um, we think about Norman and Margaret, Alan, Haley, Devon and Christine, and John Bonani. And please be thinking particularly of Jack at this time of the year. It's, it's a year since Jack's wife Mary died, and it's a particularly difficult time for him. Wan has a heart scan tomorrow, and we pray uh, that God be with you in that one. Probably an anxious time. And we'll remember too in our prayer, Tony um, and family and his mum. Is there anything else that you'd like us to pray for together this morning? If you stay in your seats then, let's pray together. Father in heaven, as your family here, your children in Old Trafford, we thank you for all the marvellous and miraculous ways that you work in our lives. We bring before you all those people that we've spoken about this morning. People like Debbie's mum, like Pauline and Marion, who and Gladys, who all in different ways struggle with existing illnesses or have new ones to come to terms with. We think about Wan and the scan tomorrow and the diagnosis that will follow and pray that you'll comfort him in an anxious time. We pray that you'll be close to those who mourn. Jack, as he remembers, and still lives with the loss of Mary, with Mark and Ruth and Simon and Rachel in the loss of a mother and grandmother. We think too of our family which is spread much wider than the streets and roads, roads around this church of John in the Congo of our brothers and sister in Portugal and help us to do what we can to mitigate that sense of isolation and distance and bring them close to us as part of your family in Christ Father, provoke us and stir us up to act where we can. Help us to be Jesus and minister your love to all those that we have strength to care for. In humility, Father, we recognise the limitations of everything that we try to do. We have confidence, Father, that you will make up in all its fullness the inadequacy of what we do. Help us to carry these people in our hearts this week, Father. They are before you always. We pray that they will be true for us too. Amen. To introduce the remarks that Dave has got for us uh, later on. We're going to read um, uh, part of Colossians 2, which is today's reading, and also part of Colossians 3. Rose is going to read uh, Colossians 2, starting at verse 6 and going uh, to the end. Uh, and then Vicky's going to read chapter 3 uh, and finishing at verse 17. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. So then... 
Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack anything, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Continuing with chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, 
anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the, knowledge of, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive what grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So listening to... Paul's advice to us there about the relationship we have in Christ and how we ought to respond. Dave's now going to come uh, and encourage us and build us up. As you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. How should we live in Christ? Rooted built up, strengthened. Such is how we should live. It's not in our nature to do so. As I look around, I know that there are many here that have been brought up in families where the word of God was the most important thing in family life. Some were not. But we are all human. And living in Christ does not come naturally to any of us. Human traditions are there. They come by being taught or whether we just stumble across them. They do have some influence over us. Maybe something as simple as putting on your left football sock because you won when you did that the first time. There are so many human traditions and superstitions that have come to us. Whether it be from history or the modern world or whether it's, it's, it's just ourselves. Some religions are built on traditions, but we live in Christ. And he lives in us. This is how our lives should be run. He is our head. Colossians 2 verse 9 For 
in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Our old self has been buried. We live a new life. We have been made alive in Christ. And every day we die again. But because of the wonderful love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, we can live in him again. We all try to keep that old self buried. But it comes out time and time again. And time and time again we are forgiven to once more live in Christ verse 20 of that chapter since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world why as though you still belonged to it do you submit to its rules do not handle do not taste do not touch that's not, do not keep, do not eat, do not feel. That old way that we have buried still has influence over us. And we still want to sample those things that used to drive us. And we might not go so far as to fully imbibe in, in them, but they're still there. And occasionally we want to get them out and have that, that lust over them, looking, wanting, desiring, but knowing it's not the right way to go. So just handling, tasting, touching, all those Three, don't go all the way, not fully eating, not fully caressing what we should not be even thinking about. We have been raised with Christ. The old values have no value. After his resurrection... Jesus left the tomb. And so should we. Jesus spent his time being with and ministering to his disciples. So should we. We should live our lives to serve one another. Jesus looked forward to the kingdom. So should we. We should set our minds on things above. We must seek them. Seeking is aspiration, desire, passion. 
in order to seek these things. The mind must be set on them. Chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs in your earthly nature. There's a list there and it's all summed up as idolatry. And whilst we can rid ourselves of immorality, impurity, lust, what can we do about anger, rage, malice, slander? That's not so easy. Anger probably happens to me nearly every day. And it may be a righteous anger. I see injustice and it makes me angry. Does it drive me to rage? Well, rarely, I hope. I work in local government, but in the office in which I work, has we've just lost somebody. I will refer to him as, as dodgy. No matter what he was told, he was proved to be a liar. His tricks and deeds were malicious. His language was foul. No matter what was said to him by me or whoever it was, however high they were in the authority, you couldn't offend him. He thought it was good when what he said was racist and offensive. He was spoken to many about his ways, but he he did not, he could not change. He took a severance package in March, he's left us. My working life is somewhat happier knowing that I don't have to put up with what he's saying, what, what he wants to do. He had no redeeming features. We have changed. We've put to death all those things. We have to put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. It's about how and what we change. Christ is all and in all. We must have Christ in us, all of him. His love, his grace, his temperament. This is the one who died for us. We are willing to die for him. And just as Christ did for us, are we 
willing to die to save others. And I googled those words, died to save others. And up came heroic stories of, of firemen, of soldiers, of those in the concentration camps. On page two, there was something about Jesus. But many heroic stories. And in fact, those heroes, the name that the world gives them, I don't want to belittle anybody or anything, but they do not go into fires, go to rescue people, knowing that they will die. They go in there thinking that they are going to come out. When we are placed in those circumstances, who knows what any of us are capable of? There's not that many here that are old enough to remember conscription, to have been called for military service. It ended in the United Kingdom in 1960 and you'd have to be at least 10 years older than me to have been called up. Those of us that I know that, that were, Philip that's just left us, he was a Bevan boy, he went down the mines. Jack, I was talking to during the week, served his time on a pig farm. His comment was, I felt quite at home. Many had difficult tribunals. But it's not just about military service. Because conscription ended in 1960, there's not a great deal of detail out there about them. I have some questions that were asked or that are asked at, at Swiss tribunals. Strangely, the Swiss haven't been at war for 700 years. But they're always ready. Every Swiss male has to keep an army issue rifle in the home. The questions that are asked at the tribunal... And we can ask these of ourselves. Not just the men that were called in the 1960s. Warfare has changed. If conscription ever came back, it may well be for women too. But those questions are, how and when did you decide against the military service? Why can't you arrange military service with your conscience? What prohibits you from serving in the military? Do you have fear to fight or to use force? Do you want to abolish the army? What do you think about the phrase 
We have the army to defend us, not to kill others. What would you do if you were attacked? What do you feel when you see that others are attacked? What is violence exactly? Would you rather experience losses than having to use force? What do your beliefs say? Would you describe yourself as a pacifist? What basic values beside objecting to violence do you have? What entity gives you the certainty that your thinking and your feelings are right? Why didn't you choose to go into prison if your conscience is that strong? Why didn't you use medical reasons to avoid military service? What do you actually do to further peace? Or is your attitude the only peaceful thing about you? Who is in charge of defending your children in case of an armed conflict? Do you live your ethical principles inside your family? What books do you read? What do you demand from yourself? Are you merely a leader, a follower, a loner? How did you do in answering those questions? When I did that Google search of died to save others, there was a mention of a concentration camp victim who died to save the lives of many others. Now, that took me back. In World War II, hadn't gone the way that it did. Or had I lived in Germany in the late 1930s and early 40s, then I... My family, and I suspect every one of you and your families, would have been taken to the camps. Jessica and I went to Auschwitz and Birkenau a couple of years ago. And in one of the rooms that we visited was a list of those that were to be taken to the camps. They included those that were conscientious objectors, but specifically mentioned in that list on a chart that was hung on the wall in Auschwitz were the words, Bible students. And we learned that what we must rid ourselves of. Such things as anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language. But rid ourselves of that anger, rage, malice. It doesn't come near to describing what the human race is capable of in terms of 
in humanity. But for me, conscientious objection, it's about a life in Christ. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's what we have to do. We have to put on. It's about how we bear ourselves, how we walk, how we talk, what we say and what we do. For a few years, I had a bike. Sometimes come here on it on a Sunday morning. And there are compulsory lessons that you must take to even ride a bike with learner plates on. And before you can get out onto the road. These days, they don't teach the motorcyclist to ride in the gutter. At one time you see motorcyclists riding almost along the curb. What they teach you to do now is to ride down the centre of the lane. And to ride in such a way that you own that piece of road that you're on. You're saying to the cars, this is my road. And if I felt I was holding up traffic, then I'd move over when I was ready to. You don't get pressured by cars edging in and moving in on you. You say to yourself, I have as much right to be here as you. I mentioned where I work and when we did have some money, we, 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 we have none at all now. We all had to attend two courses a year. I ended up on an assertiveness course. And this is one of the principles that was taught there of owning the space that we stand in. But in fact, the tutor said he'd only ever seen one person who could do it really well, who fully achieved it. And that was a woman that he'd met who was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. She had that air about her that said, this is me, this is my space. And that air, that owning of our life, of the way we do things, is a confidence, but not an arrogance. I don't watch all of The Apprentice. I usually sometimes watch a bit at the beginning and, uh, and a bit at, at the end. I can't stand The Apprentices. For me, they have very few redeeming features. Forgive as the Lord Jesus forgave you. These features don't make us disappear into the background. Because 
over all these virtues put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Let's just have a look at Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hope, always preserves. Love never fails. The love of Jesus never fails us. The love of God is so great that it can forgive every sin. We have bread and wine. And that love, it's not just great, it's, it's, it's massive. It's that love that binds us together with our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. It's that love that keeps us on a sure and certain way. It's that love that helps us walk through this world in a way that God wants us to. In a way that puts off the old self and put on the new. And let's remember with bread and with wine the one that died to save others. It is hard sometimes, isn't it? And I, I, and I think... Uh, it's always difficult to get this, the, the, this balance. David, David was talking both about us having Christ in us and about putting on those attributes of Christ. And it isn't sort of one or the other. You know, if we just have a warm, fuzzy feeling and, uh, and actually we're, we're not doing anything about it, that, that doesn't work. And if we try to impose from outside all of the disciplines that we need without the blood the life of Jesus flowing through us, we, we can't do it either. Uh, and, I, and I think this is a, a tremendous reminder to us of that because we take Jesus in. It reminds us that we need to, to take in in order to be able to give out. There is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we come now to thank you 
as we've sung together, thank you for giving us your son. As we share this bread together now, we remember, we remember that we do this because Jesus asked us to. He asked his disciples to share bread and wine in memory of him. But Lord, we don't remember in a past way, but rather we are reminded, reminded that we have committed our lives to serving you, to following your son, the Lord Jesus. And this bread reminds us of his body. We remember that his body was broken on the cross. But it reminds us too that we are part of that body. Connected together. Connected to Jesus as our head. And Lord, as we share now, we pray that you will be close to us. That you will empower us and embolden us to live lives in service to you. To follow more closely your son Jesus. So Lord, bless us now in his name. Amen. Lord Jesus, you said, I am the bread of life. And so, now, and we remember that we are your body. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I think that what the Bible uses that, that this overflowing term in lots of ways, but it, it, it's always a, a sort of liquid picture, isn't it? You know, you don't get, you can get solids overflowing, I suppose, but, and so, I'm particularly reminded of, of those kind of passages when we, when we take the wine. And I think of, of God pouring out, out of his abundance, so that we can receive it. Let's give thanks for that, Malcolm. Dear Father, we are so thankful and grateful for, for what you have done for us. Lord, we, we thank you that you gave us such a simple and yet such a powerful way of reminding us of that fact. Lord, we thank you for this wine. And Lord, as we've been reminded this morning, so often we are maybe walking away from you. And yet, the cross and all that it represents for us, entreats us to, to turn round to you, to face you, and to seek your face. And Lord, we thank you that your love overflows and overspills into us. And Lord, we pray that in our daily lives, we might reflect some of that love to others. Lord, we just want to say thank you for this wine and for everything you have done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.
funny, isn't it? How a small change in a word can make you, you, you think about it in a totally different way. Well, if you talk about remember, we, we think about everyday things. If you talk about remembrance, we immediately think about people who are dead, about... You know, it's a... It's a just that small change make, make, makes a big, big difference. And as Malcolm said in his prayer, this is to remind us, yeah? When we, if we use various words, it distances us, I think, from, from what's going on, whereas it, this is to remind us that Jesus is here and that he's made a promise to us and that we're, we're part of that. Let's share that. We're going to do our closing prayer now, but then we're going to sing uh, Go Peaceful. Join me with me, will you, in praying to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love. When we try to um, mirror it in our lives, so often things go wrong with that. Um, And yet we know that you are patient, you are kind, you are gracious, you put up with our failings. And you love us for who we are. And we know that often it's because we shut you out, that we don't experience the true power of your life in our lives, of your love in our love, of your heart in our hearts. And Father, we pray that you will help us to be more open, that you can work through us, And so that it is not about the rules in our lives that say do this or don't do that, but that everything is driven by the love and grace that comes from you and our desire to share that with everyone else. Be with us, Father, we pray and help us to give glory to you.